So in 2018, when we started the company, I got a grant from Berkeley and then I, I with big ideas and then I preserved the company from there. The MVP was literally going to coffee shops with flyers, uh, <laughs> letting people know <laughs> that this concept could be real with them, trying to sign them up either as a member or as a host. And within a few weeks, we signed up more than 200 people just from coffee oh, wow. shops in a neighborhood in, in Oakland. Hi, welcome to the Founders with Pet podcast, where I interview amazing entrepreneurs from diverse backgrounds about their journeys, successes, failures, and lessons along the way. Hey, welcome everyone. Today we have Christelle Rohat Rohat from Cody. She's the CEO of Cody. And besides that, a very amazing resume, Forbes uh, 30 Under 30 of consumer technology featured in the Ellen MacArthur Foundation and Cody has raised uh, to date over 7 million. Christelle, could you tell us a little bit about Cody? Sure. Well, thanks for having me. Very excited to speak with you today. Uh, so Cody, we, Cody is the first company to offer daytime access to workspaces in private homes, allowing people to walk to work in their own neighborhoods. Yeah. So it's kind of like Airbnb, but for work. A lot of people describe us as Airbnb meets WeWork. Yeah. 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 That's a good way to describe it. Yeah. And so tell us what sort of traction, like what are you guys doing right now? What, whatever you can share, what markets are you in? Who are some of your clients? Yeah. So we are mainly focused on enterprise clients at the moment where we unlock access to work hubs in the employee neighborhoods directly. So we partner with those companies. And right now we are mainly in the barrier and the New York market and expanding nationwide. There's a lot more demand from like markets like Denver, Austin, Seattle, Chicago, actually, as well. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. So where in Chicago do you have? Because I may have to look into this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not very familiar with Chicago, but it's mainly kind of the suburbs and a little bit, uh, a little bit downtown. Yeah. We, yeah. Have, we have supply for you if you need. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's a much needed thing, you know, with co-working spaces, the need you know, when we were a small company, we were still a small company, but I found it incredibly, when we were extremely small, I found it incredibly have, nice to have a co-working space where even though my company was still small, I had, you know, a lot of other people around versus like, and especially obvious now when in COVID, like my life looks like I work in this basement alone by myself every day forever, you know? <laughs> so like having a sense of a place to go to, you know, you know, COVID and now that people are getting shots and stuff, but cleaning and, you know, COVID aside, I think it's definitely a, something that I, if companies can provide it, it makes a lot of sense. Definitely. I think that one of the biggest struggles for remote workers are, is isolation for sure. Yeah. Is what, what you shared. And it, that was amplified with the pandemic for sure. And the number one reason why people don't want to go back to an office, though, is avoiding the commute. So you need to find an in-between, as you said, where yeah. you can find people to work around them, but locally yeah. instead of... Yeah. Yeah. The Bay Area commute is horrible. I can attest. I didn't have a... I always... Every time I got on the train or had to drive up to, you know, up to San Francisco, I always thought, 
man, I am so lucky. I don't have to do this every day. If I had to do this every day, because I, I just go up maybe about once a week or depending on the week, maybe twice a week, once a week or once every two weeks to, to go up and see clients. But if I had to do that every day, I probably want to shoot myself. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, really daunting. Yeah. And yeah. now that people have worked from home for a year, they realize they don't want to be yeah. back in that, yeah. that reality. And it's not justified. Technology is here to help us communicate and collaborate. We don't, yeah. Need, yeah. We don't need to be physically in the office. And you got some amazing clients. I see on here, you got Apple, Cisco, Facebook, Google, LinkedIn, Lyft, Netflix, Square. Yeah, that's... Yeah, so these are like employees from those companies have right. been pretty uh, right. directly. Yeah, that's amazing. That's, so tell us, how long have you been doing this? We've been around for three years. I founded the company in, in Berkeley, actually, in the Bay Area. I was still a student at the time. And uh, yeah, initially it was very consumer facing. So anyone can like book a Cody. And that's how we realized a lot of those members were actually employees at those companies that you just uh, mentioned. And right before the pandemic, we were trying to go more B2B, like working directly with those enterprises so that we can offer that as an employee benefit for more people. And I think in a way, you know, remote work has actually like made a leap in the future of five, 10 years. And now a lot more companies are open to that idea of decentralizing access to workspaces for the employees. And that allows us to have clients nationwide who are launching kind of work hubs for them. Yeah. So what, how did this idea get started? What made you want to do this? Yeah, well, I'm French. You probably noticed my, my accent. I came to the Barrier five years ago for a master's in city planning. I've always been obsessed with urban design, sustainability in our neighborhoods. How can we live and work better locally? And I got a kind of a culture shock, I think. Studying the housing crisis specifically, I it just killed me to see all those homes that People work so much to pay for the rent or the mortgage, but they're sitting empty all day long. It's a piece of real estate that is completely underutilized, like more than 50% of the time. And on the other side, we, in urban planning, you also study commuting and transportation. And so what's happening is that American cities are designed in a way where you have, and not just the U.S., it's in other countries too, you have huge residential zones that are sitting empty all day long because everyone's commuting to the commercial zones just to find Wi-Fi and sit down at a desk. And then they come back. And that creates huge inefficiencies in like the use of space in cities, but also carbon emissions that are created. And as you said, like mental health, like people are wasting hours of their lives every single day during that commute. And so initially the idea for me was more around like housing affordability. How can we create additional income for renters or, ten uh, or landlords? But then I had to work from home myself and I realized I couldn't do it every day. It's just too isolating, too distracting. And yeah, I would just burn out very fast. And the only option you have in residential neighborhoods is the coffee shop, which is even more distracting than your own home. Yeah. Not secure enough. Like if you work for a Cisco or a Facebook, you know, you can't just sit there with your screen code and designs open. Yeah. 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 That's uh, actually you know, a reality for some of those remote workers. And that's pretty bad in terms of security and privacy for the company. And yeah, and all the working spaces or even like private or shared offices are downtown, are in deep urban centers because 
these are the commercial zones and these are where co-working spaces are by essence, right? And so, yeah, I didn't want to live that way. I wanted to find something in my neighborhood without having to commute 30 minutes to sit down at a WeWork. And so I started to work for my friends' homes and I found myself much, much more productive, much happier, much more balanced. And I thought, well, you know, there's way more homes around me and it would be great to open those assets to remote workers from the neighborhood yeah 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 it seems like it's it was marrying a lot of what you were studying and what you're the problems you're trying to solve and rather than maybe working for a city right the idea the, the problem could be better solved and creating value by by coming up with this concept exactly it's interesting that you mentioned that because i thought a lot about working for cities and that was kind of my goal but i think sometimes like you make Innovation happens faster from the private sector than the public yeah, sector. For sure, yeah. And you need to kind of push the... Yeah. The, uh, the do, do you speak with the, like, there's usually, like, some cities, they have a chief innovation officer. Do you ever talk to them and what how they work with you or, yeah? We've been in close contact with the city of Berkeley, who gave us an award very early in the company's life in 2018 for helping the city because we unlock, you know, access to workspaces in residential neighborhoods where it's only housing and so there's a lack of supply of commercial real estate over there reducing commute and helping housing affordability and that's a great kind of recognition for me specifically you know being an urban planner to be able to have those relationships with city officials and city planners directly got it great how big is the team now tell us a bit more yeah well we're still very early stage we around 10 and yeah, running Cody across the nation <laughs> from our Cody's or our homes. Yeah. And how, tell me about the, you know, the pitch fundraising, what an MVP, what the MVP looked like. Yeah. You know, take me back several years when you first started. Yeah. A couple of years back, three years. And... So in 2018, when we started the company, I got a grant from Berkeley and then I, I with big ideas and then I preserved the company from there. The MVP was literally going to coffee shops with flyers, uh, <laughs> letting people know <laughs> that this concept could be real with them, trying to sign them up either as a member or as a host. And within a few weeks, we signed up more than 200 people just from coffee oh, shops wow. in a neighborhood in, in Oakland. And we converted almost everyone who wanted to be a host into being an actual host. And we quickly realized we onto something, especially unlocking all that supply and realizing like you can actually have so many different little work hubs per neighborhood, per city that were completely untapped. And that's that, that helped us fundraise. Just with that MVP, I think we, we fundraised with 10, 15 open homes in Cody's in, in Oakland. Oh, wow. Congrats. Yeah. So the fundraising seat went pretty well then? Yeah. I mean, it's always a challenge to be fully transparent. I'll never say it's easy to fundraise. But the the first time it was really on the idea, like it's a, it was a pre-seed. Uh, people yeah. were betting on, okay, there's, there's something there that was not, people were not aware of yeah. that, um, you know, a lot of people are actually willing to open their homes during the day for yeah. neighbors who want to work better. And, and then a year later, we did our seed. And, uh, and yeah, it's never, it's never easy, but I'm very grateful for the, the journey. And I think we have amazing investors who bring us a lot of value. Great. 
what's next in terms of like, what are some of the problems or challenges? What are you trying to solve? Yeah, well, it's, we are in a unique time for remote work, a moment in history for remote work and for the workplace in general. I'm sure you saw that in the news, right? Like Twitter announced permanent remote work. Facebook is kind of in between. Ford announced remote work. And so General Motors just announced remote work as well. Like you have all these companies that from various industries announcing that they embrace flexible work. And this is completely shifting the dynamics of like how you perceive where you work and how you work. And for us, like that's the biggest challenge is like helping create the best workplace possible for those companies so that it's an equitable workplace. Everyone has access to the same assets and the same productivity levels. Yeah. Tell us about the Cody experience. What what can both a host or and a, a member expect? Yeah, so we vet we have like a very strict system to vet the locations themselves. So they have to go through like an 18 point Cody Cody checklist. They are optimized for like productivity and kind of inspire people, keep them motivated. Uh, so beautiful residential spaces and sometimes unique commercial spaces as well. And uh, what can you expect as a member? You can expect like a place that is inspiring, hopefully within 15 minute walk from your home. And then Nespresso coffee machine, you know, fast Wi-Fi, at least above 100 megabytes, power outlets, a great work table. And then there's always a space where you can have a private phone call. For our enterprise clients, they want exclusive access to work hubs. So these are only reserved for the employees of the company. Right. So the guest, the host would only like that home or whatever would be only for that company. Exactly. You can't be kind of mixed with other members from a different company. Yeah. That's a model that is very appealing to companies right now because it recreates that sense of belonging also and and company culture. Yeah. In that regard, then if you are an enterprise member, you could bump into a coworker or someone else from a different team who worked for that company and happens to be actually your neighbor as well. Yeah. I I think it's probably a better, I can see that being aligned with enterprises more because they don't want you mingling with, you know, like you don't want to mix Uber and Lyft employees together or, you know, Facebook and Twitter or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So for privacy and security reasons, for sure. And that's a, a, a big advantage compared to pure co-working. And, and second, I think for culture, because yeah. what we observed during the pandemic is that there's a decreased sense of belonging. It's really harder. I mean, as a founder CEO, it's really hard to create a sense of, you know, yeah, community and culture working from home. It's, yeah, I, I say, exactly. we all struggle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so it's a good way to kind of control the physical experience that your employees have by having, I don't know, kombucha and like you can customize the, the amenities that you offer in that location. And hopefully there's a couple of other people, there are a couple of other people from your company living nearby who would use the same work hub. And, and then obviously that, that creates serendipity that was lost with work from home only. Yeah. And what is the host experience like? How much of that is put on the host to create that experience? Or do you have a team or how does that work? Yeah, the host is mainly managed by our operations team. Our host, so they go through the, the application process. They need to pass the 18 quality checklist. It's 
inspired by Lyft and Uber that had an inspection checklist for the drivers. They go through a background check. In general, hosts are super hospitable people that want to help the community and, and love that idea of like um, kind of helping local professionals work better. And these people are not just, you know, tourists, which is what Airbnb offers, right? In terms of customers. These are your neighbors who just, uh, you know, have yeah. maybe four kids at home right. and all gone work. 15 well. minutes away. Yeah. Exactly. And so it creates a really, really cool connection and trust right away that I think hosts enjoy a lot. And obviously the extra income is a great advantage. Yeah. Well, in the, in the cases now that with COVID, you know, oftentimes I imagine right now the host is also home, right, as well. How do you deal with that? Yeah, it's a great question. It definitely makes it, it changed the supply for us, like the, a little bit, because. Yeah, they need the space for their own home office, own home office. Exactly. So the home kind of needs to be big enough so that the host is, has their own home office, as you said. And then the members use like the large living room, dining room with a separate kind of breakout room. So that's an ideal situation. And then sometimes hosts just work out of their home for a couple of days a week. And that's when it's perfect to have Cody members come in. Sometimes it's a, it's a second home. And so they're not there a lot. It's a very different type of use cases, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know anything about cities and, and zones and stuff, but I did do know like, you know, when we were looking to, for offices close to my home because I own the company. I can pick an office wherever I want, but <laughs> you know, obviously there's zones for, for businesses and zones for homes. Now that your home is turned into a, essentially a business, you know, unlike Airbnb, because this is actually used for offices and corporate use. How, do, how does that change? You know, like, and how does that, how do zoning laws affect that? Yeah. Love that question. Uh, <laughs> that's what I studied. That's, that's why I started this company. You, you have those answers. <laughs> yeah. And I think zoning should be, you know, more dynamic, more, more realistic with what people actually use their homes for. As you said, like, you know, for the past year, everyone has worked from home. So homes are not just residential spaces. They are already also commercial space, but, but temporarily. And that's mm-hmm. great because it helps kind of maximize efficiency of their the asset and energy use and stuff. So to answer your question specifically about the legal, the regulations, Cody is considered as a secondary use, mm-hmm. the first use being a residential dwelling. So it remains residential because the host, you know, lives there. Still lives there. Exactly. And the secondary use is during the day, it's a kind of a home-based business. Mm-hmm. Uh, similar to you working from home, but you, you invite a couple of coworkers over. Right. Yeah, yeah. I just don't know those coworkers. <laughs> you just don't know them. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you, you will after the first. Yeah, session. yeah. After a few. Well, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Cool. How do you deal with company security and infosec and all that stuff? Yeah. Yeah, we partner with. We're actually currently working on that, but like uh, partnering with smart lock providers for kind of uh, security on the physical access side of things. And then Wi-Fi controllers as well. But in general, the work hub is reserved for the company. So no other, nobody else outside of the company can access that hub, just your employees. And that helps like obviously create security and safety. And then in that space, there's a dedicated Wi-Fi bandwidth 
for the employees. And so they can see their company names and log in there. And that's kind of private Wi-Fi for them. So yeah. it's much more secure than the co-working where you're sharing that with a lot of other people. It is physically the space, but also the Wi-Fi. So this is just privatized for the company. Yeah. So you started this way before the pandemic. And then I imagine that with the pandemic, your, your company has probably benefited from it. The pandemic has accelerated the transition to remote work. It was already booming before, but not at that level. Like now it's exponential, exponential, sorry, exponential growth. I think we made a leap in the future of five, 10 years in remote work. And the big change that happened during the pandemic is that employers now get it. Before it was employees who were convinced, like, I don't want to commute two hours, right? Every day and things like that. Well, I don't want to live in, in Menlo Park. I don't know. I'm just throwing random names out there. But, you know, it's it's changing definitely your life and not for the better. Mm-hmm. And it was hard to get the employers to let go because the office represents that control over where people are, how much they work and things like that. And that pandemic kind of forced to let go, I think, and shifted the power dynamics where there are crazy stats that say that one in two employees would leave their company if they don't offer flexible work now. Yeah, yeah, the stats are very high. Was it either 70 or 50% want some sort of flexible work yeah. arrangement? Exactly. And so that, that that's the, the way it changed. And that's definitely making a, a case for using Cody instead of mandating people back into an office. So tell me more. Yeah, you, you said something interesting. Uh, you know, the power dynamics are shifting. Employees now have, have more say, more control. I, I also feel like it's probably a different generation, too, of like people. I don't want to say the word is not more demanding, but I think people feel more comfortable asking for more. I think maybe gen- my generation, we, we didn't think about, oh, can I ask for this? Or can I, you know, we just kind of did what we were told (laughs) yeah definitely i think there's different dynamics based on the generations for sure like gen z and millennials are the ones that would probably quit the job first and that's what the talent that companies also don't want to lose right because they want to keep attracting those new young professionals to 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 them but to be honest like we're not seeing a difference in terms of reaction to remote work between a young professional or a family man or mom. Because when you have a family, uh, it's actually difficult to live around an office because most people prefer to be in the suburbs and have a house and raise the family there. Right. Um, more more space, more house, safer, a lot, a lot of variables. Yeah. Yeah. And they are the ones suffering probably a bit the, the least from working from home or struggling the least with working from home because they have more space. And so they're very comfortable in their homes. And and it it really doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of work-life balance to just commute back to an office. Where the younger professionals, they suffer more from isolation and they want to have more social interactions and they're more prone to move to downtown areas for those reasons. Right. Yeah. Sometimes you're a young professional living in a small apartment by yourself. And now you're by yourself all the time in your one bedroom or studio. You probably go crazy. Exactly. (laughs) You put it very well. Yeah. This is your first company, right? 
Yeah, it is. So everything is new. So tell us about some of the challenges and some of the stuff you've learned. Tell us about, yeah, all of the above. Yeah. Um, well, there's there's a lot of challenges on the road of <laughs> building a company. You know that very well, I'm sure. I think one of the biggest challenge and success of a company comes from the team and and how the team actually shapes, you know, kind of everything else. You can have the best idea ever, but not be able to execute it because you don't have the right people around you. But when you have the right people around you and that mindset of like kind of agile thinking, iterating, pivoting and trusting each other, I think you can achieve almost anything. And that's what kind of keeps me up at night and motivates me every day. I think that the team is my biggest learning as a first time founder, that this is key. And I've made, you know, hiring mistakes and great hires. And, and I think now I, I get it more, you know, and that's, that's the, probably one of the hardest things to learn when you haven't hired in the past. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it took me, it wasn't until I hired the person who has a lot of experience hiring someone from uh, an HR background that we really uh, were able to improve our hiring process. Once, once we have that, I think is, it went so much better. So I, I think people go on for too long without help or like talking to other people, like mo- most of what people, problems people have, like it's not like you're the first person in the world to have this problem, right? So you, it's, it's better to just like maybe start talking to people, like just speaking for myself, right? or looking for people who have that experience because it just makes life and the company so much better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, 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 awesome. Well, so who are some of the people like in terms of a company like this, what are the types of people that you, you know, what are the type of roles that you need to hire for? Well, we recently hired really key talent and I consider everyone in the, in the team right now as founding team. You know, the first 10 people are everything. And we, our head of, of growth, Kellen, he comes from WeWork. He was driving sales in New York for WeWork. So very well reversed in understanding our customer, our customer targets and understanding kind of the real estate world. Our head of marketing is actually coming from Airbnb. There you go. You, you mentioned this is kind of like Airbnb plus WeWork. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I love, I love the Airbnb brand and what they've been able to achieve. And I think they were extremely strong in, in marketing. And so very happy to have her on the team. And uh, head operations come from a very operations heavy background with Shario and, and Postmates. So the double-sided marketplace, again, to get problem and a lot of operational challenges to resolve. Our head of, of product is actually an early employee at Lyft. And he stayed there a long time, like six years and a half, I think. So he saw the whole journey of Lyft almost. And it's extremely helpful as well because it's a very similar space, like sharing economy. Yeah, you know, yeah. Drivers two, are two personas and yeah. Exactly. And the drivers are quite similar to our hosts uh, in a way. So I think those, you know, then, then I don't want to forget anyone else, but like <laughs> the whole team is great. And oh, that's a super strong team. How do you, you know, as a young startup, how do you convince, how do you, how do you recruit a team like this? It's just a, you know, I think it's, I'm obviously super biased because <laughs> I'm the founder, <laughs> but I think it's one of those ideas where you like, you either react, like you think it's crazy 
or you think it's genius. And, you know, when you run into a person that thinks it's genius, then great, <laughs> they're going to yeah. join because there's a potential for this to become huge. Yeah. And this is the goal. We want anyone to be able to walk to work yeah. wherever they are. And we think it's the future. And I think, you know, yeah, people join. I mean, people on my team are as passionate as I am. Like they are visionaries. And so you tend to kind of attract uh, similar mindsets, you know? Yeah, yeah. I never have been in a situation other than right now where I can walk to work, but I can imagine, you know, the vision is very compelling, right? It's almost like back to old town feeling, right? Small town feeling, small town living, walking from coffee shop, work, home. Yeah, it can be quite nice. So I can see it's, I can't imagine people saying this is a dumb idea, you know, like maybe when before Airbnb, people are like, oh, renting a house to a total stranger, that seems weird to a total, you know, like, but now I think it's much more normalized, right? Yeah. I, I agree with you. <laughs> and I think also the pandemic helped normalize it because everyone has worked from home. So everyone knows that home can be a workspace. Yeah. Uh, your own home may not be the best. And in general, it is not because it is also your living space. But if you go to another home, you remove that psychological attachment to that space as being your living space where you have personal connections, right? Yeah. And it becomes really just a third space that is nice and comfy and productive and convenient because it's- Yeah, yeah. yeah for, for some of us, I think it's really hard. Uh, for me personally, I think that I found it mentally tough to switch off, right? Because you're, the, you know, my basement has turned into an office. I'm in my basement and I'm, I'm always working. <laughs> And, you know, the computer's right there. I actually never turn it, you know, I actually switch to a desktop because I don't need to travel anymore. I don't need to go to clients. It's like, it's actually better to have like a ridiculously large screen and a ridiculously powerful machine. And, uh, you know, it's a bit better for video conferencing. It's better for work, but it also like, you don't, you know, there's no off switch, right? And especially with with an office space, you do walk from meeting to meeting, right? Like if you work at a Google or whatever, actually, when I was a Google contractor, like you couldn't even schedule a one hour meeting. You, you can schedule a 50 minute meeting because sometimes like maybe your next meeting could be on the other side of campus. So they want you to have time mm -hmm. to get to it so that there's always kind of breaks. But with this Zoom world, if you're not careful, you're like hopping from just meeting to meeting. It's like yeah. an endurance sport of, <laughs> can you last eight, nine hours of this? <laughs> exactly. And there's been a, a great report from um, the future form of Slack about the kind of productivity and burnout and things like that. And you see productivity increased because as you say, like people are on more meetings because they don't take breaks yeah. and, and they don't switch off. But burnout has increased dramatically yeah. because yeah. there's no work-life separation and people have a really hard time unplugging. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm all for, this is a great idea. How can I be helpful? <laughs> well, we'll open a hub for you in Chicago and you can use mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Spread the good words. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, thank you so much, Estelle, for being on the show. This has been an amazing interview and I really, I really enjoyed it. I, I learned a lot and uh, yeah, hope, hopefully the audience did too. Thank you, Peg. Thanks for inviting me. I had a great time. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thanks for joining us on this episode of Founders with Peck. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel. If you leave us a review, I'll be sure to shout it out. And if you have any questions, you can tweet me on Twitter.